have in my hand. Powerful Word of God can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, love you. (laughs) Turn in those Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. A little love fest going on in that back corner. Okay, praise God. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Not going to open up there, but I'm going to get there. So stay with me, okay? Before we go too much further, though, Ed Wilson had a birthday this week. And let's pray. Let's sing for him. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Ed. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> the zoo song? That's a new new verse. What's the what's the zoo? Oh. <laughs> you knew somebody would pick up the charts. A dean, a dean of a university was at a faculty meeting when uh, the professor from the antiquities department handed him an old brass lamp that they had just acquired. The dean rubbed it. Uh, he was rubbing a smudge off of it. And as he did that, a genie appeared. I'm the genie from the lamp, he said, and I'm here on a special assignment, dean. Your unselfish service has won you an award. You have a choice. You can have either unthinkable wealth, infinite wisdom, or unsurpassed beauty. Without hesitating, the dean selected wisdom. It is done, the genie said, and he disappeared into a cloud of smoke, back into the lamp. All of the other members of the faculty stared at the dean with amazement. And finally, one of them whispered, Now that you have infinite wisdom, dean, say something. The dean looked at them and said, I should have taken the money. (laughs) Life is full of choices, isn't it? Uh, You already made several today without thinking about it. You exercise one of the greatest God-given qualities that you and I have as human beings. You're here at church. You made the choice. I want us this morning to look at two stories real quickly about choosing and having a choice and how that fits into our lives now and forever. So let's look at these. One story is the instruction from God given to the nation of Israel right before they enter the Promised Land. It's about 1406 B.C. during what archaeologists call the Late Bronze Age. And after 40 years of wandering in the desert, Israel is getting ready to cross the Jordan River. And take over the land that God had promised their forefathers. They were at a literal crossroads in their history. And the whole book, Deuteronomy, writes about getting them ready to go into this new land. It's a lot like what we do as every new year begins. Look backwards at where we've been. Look forward to what we want to accomplish in this new time frame that God has given us. 
So it makes good sense for us to take a look at this story today. Israel had been living in tents, not cities, setting, uh, settling in, planting fields and vineyards, settling down, uh, setting down roots. These were all going to be the new things to this generation that grew up roaming through the desert. Suddenly they were going to uh, have peace and stability and prosperity. God knows that tough times are tough, but to remain faithful in successful times sometimes is tougher. So through Moses, he gave them a reminder. They were to set up large stones on Mount Ebal, coat them with plaster, and write the law on them as reminders to the people. Then as the people crossed the Jordan, they were to form two squads. Deuteronomy 27, so hold your finger at 30 and turn back to 27, verses 12 and 13. It says, when you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Naphtali. I want you for a moment to picture a football game. And the crowd on one side is yelling to the crowd on the other side. And the people were saying, we've got spirit. How about you? Uh, yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? And then they're supposed to yell the same thing back. The priests were to call out the blessings And the curses, and the people were to all shout, Amen. Blessings, curses, Amen. Blessings, curses, Amen. And then jump down to verse 15 and 16. Cursed is the man who carves an image or casts an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of the craftsman's hands, and sets it up in secret. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who dishonors his father and his mother. Then all the people shall say, Amen. So from that day forward, they would remember how God had them break into two groups and do this to illustrate the way that they could choose either to be blessed or cursed by Him. Every time they looked up and saw Mount Ebal, they'd remember the copy of the law written on stones up there on Mount Ebal. They'd remember the day that they all called out the blessings and the curses if they obeyed or chose not to. Two mountains, two different directions, their choice. Now, flip back over to Deuteronomy chapter 11 and start with me at verse 26. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today, the curse... If you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan west of the road. On top of that, God also told them that they would mess up. He told them, you're going to mess up. That they'd be carried off by their enemies. But that, once again, if they'd obey His law, He'd bring them back and bless them. 
Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim became the symbols of the fact that Israel had a choice as they entered the promised land. Obedience or disobedience, blessing or curse. Now to our text in Deuteronomy 30. Even though I've given you 1 through 20, I'm just going to spend a little time at 15 through 20. So in your Bibles, follow along with me there. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing uh, the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I will call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to His voice. Hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life and He will give you many years in the land He swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you might ask, where are you in this story today? Well, first of all, God has made similar promises to us about our relationship with Him. Do what He says, follow His commands, and you'll live. And you, like me, even though you've had second chances in your life, third chances in your life, we still mess up. How many would agree that you still mess up? All right. More than 50%. I was encouraged. That many was listening to me at this time. That's great. See, God knows. He's the God of the second chance. And third and fourth and fifth. What I love about God is that He never gives up on us. Isn't that awesome? You can be as bad as you possibly believe you could be, and God will still love you. He'll still love you. You can spit in His face. You can beat Him with a stick. You can nail Him to a cross. And He'll still love you. He'll still care about you. Had a wonderful, timely visit this week with one of our young people who used to be very active and here all the time and stopped. Came and plopped down in my office and just started talking. It was very encouraging person said, you know what, I've made some changes this year and in 2019... I'm going to try to get back to church. I said, can you do more than try? And they said, well, I I, I want that to be a part of my life. I said, fantastic. Well, I'm not perfect. I said, good. You'll join a good crowd. You're sitting in a room with an imperfect person. I said, preachers are really imperfect. 
That's why we're preachers. Because <laughs> we need a little extra. You see. But it was so refreshing. Because basically what that person was telling me was, listen, man, I'm looking for that second chance in life. And I hope they'll take it. Because then it gave me an opportunity to talk about that deeper relationship with God. Until you get that deeper relationship with God, things aren't going to fall into place like you hope they will. But once you deepen that relationship with God, and you make that decision to make Him a part of your life as your Lord and Savior, I said, ooh, man, then things start to happen in the right way. Well, I'm not going to... That was the first thing. Well, I'm not going to... Okay, I got you. You fill in the blank. I'm not going to... I said, you know, but once you deepen that relationship and you develop that relationship, your want-tos aren't going to be nearly as important. Well, I don't know. I got you. I got you. But see, it's all about making a right choice, isn't it? And when you make it, you understand it, great things come. You see, we mess up. God knows that. But He promises, time after time after time, I'll take you back. I'll love you. I care about you. That offer of grace that God gives us in Jesus is, is just, it's, it's an ongoing second chance. We need to seize it. And just like Israel, we've got to make a choice. Life or death, spiritual prosperity or destruction, blessing or curse. God tells us, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to His voice. Hold fast to Him. I know it sounds real basic. But if you were to ask the coaches in our church, what's the best lesson you can teach your players? They will all say, Practice and perform the basics right. And then guess what? Other things come behind it. I was encouraged that Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys won a playoff game. But they went to Los Angeles and met a resurrected team that played together. They were playing together last night. I haven't seen Dallas's defensive line manhandled like I did last night. You see. It's amazing. It's amazing. Have you ever seen Alabama's football team get beat like they got beat by Clemson? I never have. But boy, you could see it in the you could see it in a Brother Saban walking up and down that sideline. And after the game, they asked Dabo Sweeney from Clemson, you know, how'd you do this? He goes, this is a God thing. He had no problem evoking Jesus, God, Jesus, God, Jesus, God, Jesus, God. I just sit there listening going, what? Now, if I had a son or a daughter wanting to go to college, I'm going to send them to Clemson. Just because of the coach. He said, man, this, this couldn't happen. He said, this couldn't happen. And he went on and on and on about how it couldn't happen except God did it. God did it. God did it. Wow. That's what I love about our coaches in our church. That's the way they are. That's the way they coach. Again, if you do the basics right, 
spiritually, you're going to do the supernatural things along the way because you've done the basic things the way God wants them done. You've got that prayer life. You've got that Bible reading time that you put in. Hey, how about those Kansas City Chiefs, huh? Boy, Brother Hearn is just about to go out of his mind back there. He's been, a, he's been a stalwart Kansas City fan from the day that they couldn't beat the fly off of the wall. Man, they're beating people because of some punk kid who came out of Texas Tech University. He is. He's just a punk kid. But you know what? His, his rookie year, he's now up in the history books with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Wow! He might as well retire now because he he's not going to get any better than that. Can you imagine what that kid's going to look like in 10 years? Wow. What is he, 21? Unbelievable. There's another story in Scripture I want to share with you, a second story. It's in Matthew 22. If you have those Bibles, open there if you would. Matthew 22, beginning at verse 1, says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell uh, those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatty calf. I have been butchered and everything's ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners, invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Hey, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. So the king told the attendants, tie him a hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited... But few are chosen. Now that's a parable. The story has an important truth embedded in it. And once again, we're looking at teaching about people's choices. God, who is represented by the king in this story, is giving people an opportunity to enjoy his kindness. They've been invited to a wedding feast. And now the time to come uh, has arrived. So the second call goes out, and just like Israel chose to turn its back on God, so much like us, we turn our back on God, these people choose to disregard the invitation of God. So there's a second chance. But this time, to include people who weren't even invited the first time, and once again, there's still another choice to be made that will lead either happiness to happiness or misery, because there's at least... One guest who chooses to insult the king by refusing to wear the wedding clothes that were provided. His choice gets him kicked out. Now I want us to talk about both of these stories real briefly and see how our choices affect our lives. First of all, I want you to understand the reality of your choice. In the beginning, God created all that is, including us. He didn't have to. It was His 
choice. The way He established it all was really up to Him. No one told God what things should look like or how they should work. And when He had made man in His own image, which was His choice too, somewhere as He put it all together, He gave us something precious. And we call that free will. Free will. It's the ability to choose. God placed choices in front of us. And just like Israel had a choice, just like the guest in the parable had a choice, we have a choice. Doctors Minrith and Meyer in their book, Happiness is a Choice, wrote this. As psychiatrists, we cringe whenever Christian patients use the words, I can't and I've tried. Any good psychiatrist knows that I can't and I've tried are merely lame excuses. We insist that our patients stop saying can't and say won't instead. They need to see that they are what they are really doing. So we make them face up to what, uh, what they are doing by saying, I just won't get along with my wife. My husband and I won't communicate. I won't discipline my children the way I should. I won't find time to pray. I won't stop gossiping. And when they change their can'ts to won'ts, they stop avoiding the truth and they start facing reality. Boy, that works. I encourage you to try that. Because we're faced daily with the lies that it doesn't matter or that we really don't have a choice. That no matter what we do, there isn't a right or a wrong to life. You don't like who's in elected office today. There's an election that will come up and you go cast your vote. Well, it ain't worth nothing anyway. Then shut up. Quit complaining. If you don't go cast a vote, then shut up and quit complaining. My house is dirty. Somebody should come clean my house. Get off your rear end and clean it. It's ugly watching me do anything nowadays with these feet I've got. But, hey, put me on my little, my little seat thing, man. I can sweep with the best of them. Don't get much distance on my throw, but I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? If you don't like something, change it. you got a choice. I hate my job. Go get another one. Supposedly, there's thousands of them out there. You don't pay a whole lot, but there's thousands of them out there. We're faced daily. We say stuff like, I have to lie, because if I don't, I'll ruin a friendship. Everyone cheats on the test. Besides, i got to pass this class. I'd like to be a better person, but I just, I, I just wasn't brought up that way. I'd give up the habit... But I just can't control it. Too many people are running around without an appreciation for the fact that God has given them the ability to choose to do what's right. You have the ability to do what's right every time you decide, even if it's wrong. You, you have the right. You have the ability to choose it. You do not have to go 95 miles an hour in a 65 mile an hour zone. You don't have to do that. Get on the Creek Nation Turnpike. Try to get from Elm Street Jinx to Memorial. You're on the Creek Nation Turnpike. Isn't that what it's called? Creek Nation Turnpike or Creek Turnpike? And see how many of them are going 65 miles an hour. 
If you get in the left lane, Lord have mercy on you. And go 65. Of course, you got to pass the guy that's going 63. going to take you a little while, right? <laughs> Keep working at it. Man, if you're in that lane, they'll pass you like you're sitting still. Then you could be like Jeff this week who was in his truck driving back to Tulsa. Got just past St. Louis. He got to spend the next four hours in his truck sleeping on the interstate. <laughs> Twelve hours. He got to sit there. Because the, how many inches? Fourteen inches of snow. And let me tell you, people do not know how to drive in 14 inches of snow. Three inches of snow. A cup full of rain. They don't know how to drive. But there's just too many people running around without an appreciation for the fact that they can have the choice, they have the power to do and choose what's right to do. We even have a new congresswoman in Washington who said this past week, even though I don't have my facts straight, I'm morally right in saying what I'm going to say. No, you're not! Have your facts straight before you just launch out there with your superior spirit and attitude. Really? Wow. Victor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. He was a concert concentration camp survivor he shared this he said we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting us and comforting others giving away their last piece of bread they may have there may have been few in number but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. We still live in a country that allows you this opportunity. But if you continue to let the government take over, you will lose those privileges. The first thing that the new House of Representatives majority voted to do on day one was to pass a bill for $150 billion to make sure that abortion is set up and the government is paying for abortions worldwide. First thing. So the first thing we do is start killing babies again. Really? Wow. That's the first decision? Don't have to have my facts straight. I just have to be morally right. Wow. Wow. I'm reading these stories today to listen to what God is saying. And one of the points that I, I walk away with is that God gives people... A choice. Cain was angry with his brother Abel. So God tells him in Genesis 4, 7, If you do what is right, you will not be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. 
See, Cain had a choice. God encouraged him to do what was right. His job was to make the right choice. And folks, that's us. You can do what's right. You can have a choice. Another aspect of, another aspect of this is our ability, number two, to value our choice. The whole idea of us being able to make choices starts with God. God was so pro-choice long before pro-abortion people tried to adopt that phrase. You ever wondered why? Why He even gives us a choice? Why did God have there uh, be a Mount Ebal and a Mount Gerizim? Why a second invitation to the wedding feast? Why wedding clothes? Why in Eden did God even place the trees that were off limits? Why place a choice in front of us? Just tell us what to do. Let us lock, you know, march lockstep in line. Well, He didn't do it that way. He didn't have to set life up that way. He could have just made it as easily for us to do whatever He said 100% of the time. If there's no wrong opinion, there's no wrong choice. Eve wouldn't have eaten from the tree if it hadn't been there in the first place. Cain wouldn't have murdered his brother if he didn't have to. God gives us a choice, however. And that makes our lives a little more complicated. It'd be easier if we didn't have to make choices. It'd be a lot easier. I tell you, we wouldn't have to worry about who I'm going to marry. God would already have that worked out. I wouldn't have to worry about what I'm going to eat. God's already got it worked out. I'd have to worry about what kind of clothes I'm going to put on. God's already got it worked out. You see what I'm saying? It'd be a whole lot easier. I don't have to worry about how fast I'm going to drive. God's, already, God's got it under control. Wouldn't that be a terrible life to have that so regimented that you had no say-so in it? I'm grateful that I found the little wife that I have. Best thing that has ever... Except finding the Lord as my Savior. Boom! She's right behind Him. Telling you. I have... Words cannot... I can't give you words. When you're sick and you've got to have somebody take care of you, you learn real fast how important they are. Man. I remember when Kim uh, had that little stroke and you know Peggy jumped in and started taking care of him. Man. I remember him saying that. You know, that, that <laughs> words escape you. Just the fact that other people choose to drive recklessly makes me have to pay more insurance. Because people steal from Walmart, I have to pay higher prices. Life is more complicated because of people around me who make wrong choices. And so is your life. But let me tell you, in the ministry there are plenty of times I wish that I could step inside somebody's head and think for them and make decisions for them. As a parent, there are plenty of times that I wish I could have thought for my kids rather than sit back and watch them run into the wall. But the best thing I ever did was let them run into the wall. I didn't let them run into the wall enough. I, nobody was there to help, help me not run into the wall. It seemed like I ran into wall after wall after wall after wall. Pretty soon you learned to quit running into the wall. God's put great people around you. Ask their advice. Amen? C.S. Lewis said this, 
It's not a frightening truth that the free will of a bad man can resist the will of God. For he has, after a fashion, restricted his own omnipotence by the very fact of creating free creatures. And we read, or we read that the Lord was not able to do miracles in some place because people's faith was wanting. See, even their lack of faith, their lack of choice, the right choice, limited Jesus' power to heal them. Could Jesus have healed everybody? Yes. As soon as He walked past you, whatever was ailing you would have been healed. But you have to be involved in the healing process. Showing faith. Demonstrating faith. Well, what happens if I do that faith and I still get sick and die? You're going to die anyway sometime. Understand that there's a you're making the right choices by getting the treatment you need, but you made the better choice by accepting Jesus as your Savior because your eternity is established. I argued with a gal one time about uh, Sean Sellers. He was on death row in McAllister because of all the heinous deaths and murders he'd committed. He became a Christian while he was in prison. And this person was arguing with him. She let him out so he could preach. I said, no, he's still got to pay a penalty for his choices he made, but the better choice in the midst of all that is he's found the Lord and he's got his destiny set. So he's going to go be with the Lord. You mean mass murderers can find their way to heaven? Yes. I don't have to like it. I don't, I don't like it. But that's God's business, not my business. I don't know their heart. God does. Did they change in the 11th hour? That's between them and God, isn't it? It's not between you and me. It's between them and God. I'm just so glad that, I'm glad that God didn't give up on me. But I want you to think for a moment how much it costs God to make us the way that He's made us. Given the chance to make wrong choices, we do. And with us making wrong choices, the only way for us to be in a restored relation with God is by the death of His Son on the cross. Our free will is what made the cross necessary. That's how much it costs God. Why do it? Why give us a choice? I can't say I know for sure why God values that so much. I'm only sure that without us having a choice, without a tree in the Garden of Eden, without two mountains across the Jordan, without the ability to not show up for the wedding feast, no one would obey God by choice. Our choice to obey Him is somehow valuable to God. Valuable enough that He's willing to send Jesus to die as a sacrifice in place of undeserving, disobedient humans. Now what's the last third aspect and last aspect of our choices? It's the impact. The impact of those choices. The ability to choose is not only valuable, it's also powerful. But our choices, and by our choices, we set the course for our whole life, good or bad. I wonder how much more seriously we would take some of our choices if we could see how they're going to affect the futures of ourselves and the people around us. In the parable that Jesus told, those who spurned the king's invitation were dealt with harshly. Their choices revisited them. We need to give some thought to the way our choices today are going to affect our lives tomorrow. And not only tomorrow, but perhaps forever. Your choice to smile at someone today may affect that person's whole day. Your choice to stop and converse with someone, to offer a word of encouragement, could change the entire course 
of somebody's attitude. Your decision to finally share your faith with your friend this week could change that person forever. It works negatively also, your decision not to talk to someone, not to smile, not to share. Those choices can have an impact, good or bad. Really, it was choices that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, when He said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. It's as if we're all on, a, on the same ship and it's sinking. Two rescue boats approach and we're invited to leave. Each boat could hold all the passengers. One, they tell us, is going on out to sea to certain doom. The other will take its passengers back to the safety of the shore. Where you end up will depend on which boat you get on. Each one has its course all set, but you have to decide which one you'll take. So in other words, we get to make the choice concerning eternity. We have a choice. God even values that choice. But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we have to make a choice. Stephen Lawhead said this, this, this is our work in creation to decide. And what we decide is woven into the thread of time and being forever. Choose wisely then, but you must choose. Whether you like the way it works out or not, the good news this morning is that you get to choose. I get to choose. Listen to God's Word this morning. See what I have set before you today. He says, life and prosperity, death and destruction. And my prayer, my hope for you is that you'll choose life. Pray with me, please. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for these that are here. And I pray a special blessing upon each and every person. And so, Father, as we uh, conclude our message today and our services this morning, is there one today who would say they've been touched by the message and they're ready to make a new choice? A different choice. They're ready to get off the sideline and get back in the game. We always need teachers. We always need sponsors. We always need communion preparers. We always need people at the door to greet. We always need things at the church where anybody can do. But God, what we can't do is make someone do it. What I'm praying is that you will wrestle with their heart to the point where they will want to do it. So God, I'm asking you, Is there one today, maybe here that's never claimed you as their Savior, today would be that day. Would they choose wisely? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.